Um, okay, so I wanted to talk today about meaning making. And many of you have heard me speak about this before, but I had a new insight as happens um, when we live with a teaching for a while. That's what happens with the teachings is, um, you know, I've read the yoga sutras like a gazillion times, you know, but every single time I meet the teaching, right, and meet one of the sutras, I am different because I am of the material world. And that means that I'm shifting and changing in the way that I am all of the time. Right? And so we meet the teachings in a different way and thus have new insights. It's part of like the magic and, and the, um, the longevity that can exist within this practice. And it's why it's so interesting to me. Essentially, if you sign up to be a yogi, you're signed up to be a forever student. That's just how it is. So and the, this teaching first occurred to me in the midst of my divorce. So this is how it started, is that my, I've experienced a lot of things in my life, friends. <laughs> Um, and my divorce was one of the most painful things that I have ever been through, like more than some of my traumas in my life, um, more than some of the stuff around my parents. It was like, probably cause it echoed those, but it was like, as an adult person, it was one of the most painful things I've ever been through. And so as I was moving through that space, which the heart of it, I would say was about two years, I became like super almost, I would say, this is embarrassing to say, but I'm using it cause it's a teaching like addicted, um, to Oprah <laughs> and, uh, to self-help. And I would walk around the neighborhood uh, in the house that I still lived in the house that my ex-husband and I owned together. And I would walk around the neighborhood and I would pop Oprah in my headphones and I would cry and walk around. And then if there wasn't another Oprah, I almost like didn't know what to do because what it was helping me to do, what I quote unquote thought it was helping me to do was to be able to make meaning out of the chaos that my life had become, right? Um, and especially in a crisis, when we're, when we're in the midst of it, right? In the midst of the boiling, roiling sea, so to speak, it is very tempting to want to cast a net out over that boiling sea and get the water to somehow take some sort of solid form because of the discomfort that being in the roiling, boiling sea causes us. Got it? So by making meaning, we throw that net out there and we're like, it must mean this. And we try and get to a container to be around the chaos of the experience that we're actually having. And I noticed this in myself because of years of practice and was like, oh, I'm making meaning, right? When there actually isn't meaning to be made yet. (laughs) And I'm doing that because I'm experiencing a discomfort, right? And not wanting to feel or be with what's actually happening. And then what came from that was this sort of promise to myself that I wasn't going to miss what was happening. That was what passed across my mind was like, don't miss this. And it really felt, I remember exactly where I was when I got this message and it really felt like some sort of guidance coming from the universe to help me in this moment. It was like in the meaning making, you are missing 
what's actually happening. Yeah. So, um, my new realization about this has to do with judgment, right? So judgment comes, um, part of the etymology of judgment is diagnosis, right? That when we judge, we are diagnosing something. And it's part of why Western medicine is so attractive, right? As opposed to sometimes some of the, um, like Ayurveda or something like that, where you're looking at a more holistic um, remedy, right? Is because when we diagnose something, then there's going to be a something that then can fix it, right? It becomes very linear and it creates that container that we're seeking um, to make out of something that doesn't actually want to be or need to be contained, right? So when we're in judgment with ourselves, with other people, we're often in that space of trying to diagnose so that that will lead us then towards what we need to do to fix it. Mm -hmm. And um, my therapist told me years and years ago, and this here I go again, (laughs) the stories, these stories that I repeat, I repeat for a reason because they're like the big lessons. My therapist once told me years and years ago to begin noticing when I'm judging and in that moment to ask myself, what are you, Audra, avoiding feeling right now? Right? Because judgment becomes this place um, that we can use, like any sort of thing that we become addicted to, to numb out what we're actually feeling in the moment. So I just realized, and some of you might have already realized this before me, uh, that when we are meaning-making, which seems great, right? It seems healthy and good, like, oh, I'm seeing the trajectory of my life, I'm understanding what's happening, like, this is happening for this, and it's going to help me to grow, and aren't I the best yogi ever? That some, when we are meaning-making, and especially when we're rushing to meaning-making, that we are actually in a place of judgment. And whenever we are in a place of judgment, we are not free, right? So in the midst of this moment right now, where there is a lot of chaos, a lot of turmoil, a lot of fear, it can be tempting to rush toward making meaning as a way to seek comfort. But meaning reveals itself. It's not something that is made, right? It can't make itself. Meaning's like a poem, right? It expresses like... um, Meaning in and of itself is something that becomes, like a poem, like when you read a really beautiful poem, it's almost like a becoming. It arises out of something that is um, deeper and not so surface as the language of judgment, right? A a judgy poem isn't going to happen. And meaning is not in our control, right? As it is revealed, like we can't like force it to be revealed. We can't force a revealing or an unveiling. We see it when we see it. And that can be so frustrating and hard to be with, right? Um, And it's revealed through the process of time, right? There's no substitute for time and spaciousness. And also I would say a letting go, right? That beautiful um, I, I've just had such a um, respect recently for the process of being able to release and let go. And um, many of us, women ex-folks, um, 
have been brought up with the idea that letting go is somehow related to being imperfect, right? Or um, not being able to be tough enough to stay in it. And so there's this resistance that we have of of letting go that happens in our lives, right? And so we stick to it, even when the stick-to-itiveness doesn't necessarily serve our becoming. And meaning-making um, is the same thing, right? It sort of like causes the stick-to-itiveness um, aspect of us to really like arise. And what meaning-making is actually, what meaning actually is asking of us is to let go and let it become, yeah? So... What happens is what we're asked to do is to trust that what is happening right now is exactly perfect, right? We talk about this a lot because we're a group of people who are trying to become more awake and more conscious. And this trusting that what is happening is exactly perfect, exactly as it is, and is here like showing itself to us so that we it can be in service to our growth, right? to our becoming more awake, to our hearts becoming more open. And that's very difficult to be with, especially when the sea is roiling and boiling, um, when there's turmoil. So uh, that question, when we start to experience that rush to making meaning or to experience judgment, right? Because they're the same thing now, I'm realizing, (laughs) is what am I avoiding feeling right now? Don't miss this. Don't miss this feeling. Don't miss this moment. Use it as a call back to presence because that's how it always is. We remember and we forget. We remember and we forget. And when we forget, right, that the process of this life is to help liberate us, right, to awaken us, to open our hearts, we simply can just be like, oh, I forgot. And then that becomes the call to awake. The forgetting, it's the most beautiful paradox of all time. The forgetting becomes the call to re-remembering, right? My teacher recently gave me an assignment. This is the end here. To look at um, yoga sutras. And those of you who have a copy, go look at them. It's like blowing my mind right now. To look at sutras 216, 217, and 218. And here's what they say. 216 says, future pain is avoidable. Future pain is avoidable. And then 217 says, okay, well, how is future pain is avoidable, right? Next question. And then 217 says, the cause of pain is identifying with what we are not, with the feelings, right? With being um, valued, right? That's a big one for a lot of people. I don't feel valued, well, it's your job to value yourself and to see who you really are, right? We identify with pain when we get stuck in the victim cycle. We identify with joy, right? Only pleasure seeking. And suffering, right, comes from identifying with those things because all of those things are changeable like the sea, like the ocean. And then 218, this is this is the beautiful wrap-up, which I... Um, has led me to some of these insights, right? Says that the scene, right? This material world gives us the experience that we need for liberation, right? That's that letting go and trusting that this is exactly perfect. Um, Swami Satchitananda says, nature is here to give you experience and ultimately to liberate you from its bondage, right? 
which is that paradox that in the forgetting who we really are is the invitation to remember. Right? And that's what nature does to us. It helps us forget so then we can re-remember and liberate ourselves and become free. So instead of throwing the net <laughs> and trying to encapsulate something that doesn't want to be encapsulated, can we be with, right? And remember that the surface of the ocean is always tumultuous, even on a beautiful glassy day, right? That there's always waves and movement, but the deeper down you go, the less movement there is and the more peace and freedom and love that's available to us. So um, that's it. Let me, I wanted to read you one thing here. There's more to say about judgment because there's good judgment and then there's um, crippling judgment, right? <laughs> um, and when we judge, it's usually us trying to protect ourselves. And so we want to try and open and relax and be with, right? Um, where is this part? Let's see. Hmm. Ah, here it is. We should watch the changes like passing clouds. But normally, we don't want to merely watch them. We want to hold on to a section without letting go. Then the tension comes in. Changes are like flowing water. If you just allow water to flow, it is very pleasant to sit and watch. But if you want to arrest the flow and keep the water for yourself, you will have to construct a dam. Then the water will resist the dam and try to escape. There will be a terrible struggle. Although you may stop some of the water, another portion will overflow. So you must allow for spill out or the dam will certainly break. All life is a passing show. If we want to hold it even for a minute, we feel tension. Nature will try to run away. We will try to pull it back and keep it. And when we want to keep it, we put up barriers, which ultimately cause us pain, right? And so going inward, going deep, being with, remembering that you are not a feeling, that you are not a thought, and those change, right? And as we go in and we find those deeper parts inside of ourselves, we find that which is unchanging, the one who watches, our spirit, our divine light. Okay, we have a very flowy beginning today. I'm very excited.